page, on page 1009, if you're following along in the church Bibles. So Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Luke. Luke used to be in my youth group 13 odd years ago, and it's, it's wonderful that he is still a mighty man of the Lord and going strong. Um, my name's Ollie Benyon, I'm the associate vicar here, and it's wonderful to, to meet uh, you. If I haven't met you before, do come and say hello, and it's great to see you all. Um, we are um, looking at a, a series of looking at the life of Jesus and getting some lessons from the life of Jesus. And today we're looking at this very familiar uh, passage of the feeding of the 5,000. Let me just pray before we have a, have a look into it. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you continually uh, challenge us to expect and imagine far more than we can possibly uh, uh, do on our own strength. And help us as we look at this text today that we would go away from uh, this morning uh, challenged and just longing to see you use us in mighty ways. Amen. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Now, this is the question that was the people of Galilee were, were asking themselves. Now, Jesus had performed many mighty works. He'd healed people of various diseases, and he had taught with incredible authority. And as a result, the villages of Galilee were buzzing with this great question, Who is Jesus? Now, some were saying uh, he was John the Baptist raised from the dead, while others thought he was the resurrected Elijah. Still others thought he was a prophet like those long ago. And in this morning's passage, Mark is going to tell us who Jesus is. There is no greater question for any of us to answer 
Who is Jesus of Nazareth? You know, is he a con man? Is he crazy? Or is he the Christ, the Son of God? Is he mad, malicious, or the master? Is he a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord? Well, we're going to look in this passage to see what Mark tells us to build up a picture of who Jesus is. And he says, firstly, Jesus is compassionate. Matchless in compassion is my first point. Matchless in compassion. Now, one standout point in the text is that Jesus, he cares for people's needs. Now, we see this throughout Scripture, don't we? And we see this in this text in two ways. First, with his relationship with his disciples. And then we see it with his relationship with the crowd. Firstly, with the disciples. They had just returned from many weeks of mission. Jesus had sent them to preach uh, the gospel to the villages of Galilee, and now they, were, they returned. They were eager to report back all that the Lord had done, all that, 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 that the work had been done, and, uh, and what they had taught and seen. And they would have hundreds of stories to tell of people, I imagine, coming to faith, of miraculous healings, of entire communities being transformed. But it, it wasn't easy to sit down with Jesus when you have a, a, a thousands of people wanting to, to, to be with him and to, to be, uh, to, and to kind of follow him around. That day, the 12, they hadn't eaten and they were hungry and exhausted. And Jesus, aware of their physical needs, he says to, to Peter and John and the others, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, not everyone in church today will need to hear these instructions of take a rest. Um, As J.C. Ryle says, there are only a few in danger of overworking themselves and injuring their own bodies and souls by excessive attention to others. The vast majority of professing Christians are indolent and slothful and do nothing for the world around them. There are comparatively few who need the bridle nearly so much as they need the spur. Now, that is, they're harsh words, and I was wondering if I should read them or not, but uh, they're often quite true. Many of us are just very busy people. We're busy running from one thing to another. But when we look at our diary, when we uh, maybe turn on our phone and look at our diary, you know, what is it filled with? Is our diary reflecting the purposes of our life, which is to build God's kingdom? In Matthew 9, verse 37, it talks about, Jesus talks about how the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And uh, Most church leaders can relate to this as they long for more people in the church to give up their time and to use their time to advance the kingdom. And I know we all have very different amounts of responsibility in life, and uh, both at home, both at work. And so we don't expect someone maybe who's a, a single parent to be able to give the same amount of time as an undergrad. But if we find, when we're looking at our diary, looking at our phone calendars, that there is no time to serve the needs of others, to serve the church, then we need to seriously consider how we have prioritized our lives. Have we got things in the right order? 
But there will be others uh, in the church today who, and I know of, who, whose days and evenings and weekends are spent laboring for the kingdom of God. That you, you are sold out to wanting to advance his kingdom. You know, who are planning week in, week out those home group meetings or who are cooking in that kitchen or clearing up after people, or welcoming us on the door and tirelessly serve, tirelessly volunteer. And I want you to take from this passage that you have a compassionate Savior. He's not a slave driver. He does not just send us out to work, but also says, take some rest. And not just any old rest, not just, hey, let's go home and chuck on Netflix. It's come away with me, come away with Jesus, buy yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Spend some time with Jesus so you can recharge before continuing the work that God has called you to. So Jesus has compassion for his followers. And then he also shows compassion for the crowd. You see, Jesus is confronted by thousands. Just imagine this, men and women uh, many uh, and children, and many whom would have been motivated and heard the disciples preaching about this person, Jesus. And they were motivated, and, and now they are uh, seeking out, exploring this extraordinary man who has been commended to them so enthusiastically by the disciples. And they're going to do go to any lengths to find him. Now, this is, a, this is a great picture of evangelism. When we speak about Jesus in such a way that people are intrigued and they want to know more and they're compelled to, to come and find out more about who this person Jesus is. And when we, we've got um, Alpha coming up in January and when we, uh, this is a great way to be able to invite people to Alpha, you know, come and hear about the person that has changed my life. You know, this is a little bit of my story, but why don't you come and meet him and, uh, you know, try out and explore the Christian faith for, for 10 weeks. Come and find out and see if this is something that is real, because this is so real to me and so important to me. So the disciples and Jesus try to get away from the crowds and they, they get into a, a boat and they cross the other side, but they are spotted. And the shout goes up, you know, there he goes, he's crossing the lake. Let's get after him. See, at this particular point in the lake, it would have been around four to five miles to cross it on a boat, and it would have been about 10 miles to, to walk around it. And, um, you know, the boat would have had about 13 men in it, and, uh, you know, if the wind wasn't great, you can imagine that it would have taken basically the same amount of time to walk around as it could have to sail across. But these folks in the streets, in the villages, they weren't just walking, they were running from the surrounding towns. That's almost half a marathon. Have you ever tried to drag your children, you know, at least a couple miles? But they were running, thousands of them eager to meet with Jesus. So Jesus and the disciples, they get to their destination, but the crowd, they, oh, they managed to get there ahead of them. They wouldn't keep away from Jesus. They wanted to know who was this Jesus? They were that eager to do so. You know, was he the man who was going to drive the Romans away? Would he make them a great nation again? They had to find out. So they were going to track him down, get into his space to find out, not let him to get away. But what was Jesus' response? You know, he didn't get 
angry. You know, you may think, I would be flipping furious. You're trying to get away for a bit of peace and quiet, and these guys are in your face. He didn't get angry. You know, like many famous people today who, who seek out fame, and then they complain about the paparazzi and the crowds are outside their doors, desperate to see them. And when they come out, they often have they're nothing to give. But Jesus, he had something to say to them. He could help them. He wasn't resentful about the fact that they've come along and gate-crashed their quiet time. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And the word compassion in the New Testament describes uh, a gut-wrenching desire to do something about a situation, about the situation. And, when, and what is interesting is that, that that word is used only of Jesus or stories uh, that describe uh, Jesus. So like in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it is the word compassion uh, in that parable that turns the whole story. And the reason I tell you this is because the gospel writers are saying that real compassion for the lost finds its source, its example through Jesus. When we spend time with Jesus, we too will have compassion for the lost. It's not something we should force ourselves to do, to try and be more compassionate. Don't bother. Just learn to love and to follow the source of compassion, to follow Jesus. And then how did Jesus see this crowd? Well, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. One of my best friends looks after sheep and he tells me, without someone to care for them, sheep you know, are, are pretty helpless. You know, if they're lost, they're not like, you know, Lassie, that dog that would always find its way home. They can't find their way home. You know, if they fall on their back, they can't get up. If they fall into a ditch, they can't get out. You know, without a shepherd, they have no defense against predators or thieves. And Jesus is telling this crowd, this massive crowd, that they are lost and in danger because they don't have a good shepherd leading them. But today, you know, we are, we are told we don't need to follow anyone other than ourselves. Often we are, aren't we? You know, we're told in the poem Invictus that we are the masters of our fate. We are the captains of our soul. Or that song that gets sing, sung around Christmas, you know, that I, by Frank Sinatra, that I did it my way. I don't know why you sing it around Christmas. Maybe you don't. But anyway, it's that, you know, that famous song. But that is not what Jesus calls us to do. We are not our own captains. Each of us needs a shepherd. We all face complex challenges throughout our lives, you know, huge decisions there are new dangers around every corner. The question is, do you have a shepherd guiding you? Not any old shepherd, but one who is compassionate, who is moved by your lostness and your vulnerability and your need. A Christian is someone who knows they need a shepherd. They know they are helpless and have cried out to God at some point in their lives and said, Jesus be my shepherd. I want to follow you. And they continue to cry that cry throughout their lives. Lord, I need you. I need to follow you. Help me follow you today. And what does this look like? Well, there's this famous psalm that you may have heard of. In psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a picture of our good shepherd. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you've, you've come in, uh, just been hearing the worship, and you just walked in and sat down. Or you've been brought by a friend, and you don't quite know why. And, uh, you, but you're intrigued about who this person Jesus is. But yet you don't know him. And you're asking, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Well, he is the living God who is full of compassion and love for you. And you can know him today. What else do we discover about who Jesus is in this passage? Well, we discover that he is limitless, limitless in power. Jesus began teaching the crowd many things. The other gospel accounts say that Jesus healed the sick and then and taught them about the kingdom of God. And at the end of the sermon, Jesus' uh, disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I just want you to point out, notice that the disciples, they were full of compassion for the people. You know, they had spent time with Jesus, the source of compassion. And they, though they were exhausted, they were tired, and they were probably wanting to just spend some time on their own, they were still thinking about the needs of others. But their solution was a practical one, and it didn't take into account who it was that they were following, who they were with. We can often treat our prayer life like that. Lord, we, we see a problem in front of us, and we feel this is the best way to fix it. You know, I've, I've thought it through. I've got a step-by-step -step plan. Lord, if you just follow these step-by-step -step plans, then this will be solved and we can move on. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be open with our prayers and be able just to cry out to God and speak from the heart. You know, for we know the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, taking our, our human imperfect prayers and presenting them to the Father. Just an example for that is when I, when I take my kids for a walk, um, they will, on occasion, they go around and they will pick up, you know, flowers and they want to give them to their mum. And they come up to me and they show me their, their little clumps of flowers. And I say, that is beautiful. But I, I can see in them that there are a few flowers in there. But there is a few weeds. There's a few nettles. There's a bit, a few kind of poison ivy in there. And so, I, you know, I say, great. And I take their little flowers and, you know, it's very quietly and secretly. I start just pulling out the, the bits of death and the stinging things. And I take them away. And then they, and I, and I hand them back to them. And I say, yeah, go and give that to your mother. And their little faces light up and Lois, and they go in and give it to Lois. And Lois is like, yay. She loves flowers. You do, don't you? I should buy them more often. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes our prayers, even the misguided ones, and he removes all the, the unacceptable bits, the, and then he presents them um, to the Father who answers every prayer. And that is what Jesus does in this, in this story. Disciples come to him with a problem and their best attempt of solving this problem. I'm sure they're even proud as they come to it. Yeah, we've got a plan. 
But Jesus, he doesn't laugh at them and say, you know, just sit down before you hurt yourself. You know, he, and, and so I can sort it all out. No, he takes their plan of making sure the people get food. It's an important plan. And then he rearranges it to something so much better and then gives it back to them. He's almost, Jesus is almost saying, great idea, guys. This is a wonderful idea. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Verse 37. And they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. You give them something to eat. You know, our prayers are often for Jesus to intervene and fix the problem. But time and time again, God doesn't answer our prayers as we expect. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you will have discovered this. He doesn't send down a heavenly catering company to feed the 5,000. While the disciples, they can just sit on the, the sidelines and watch. Instead, he calls them and he calls us to do his work. And like we see here, the work of Jesus is often impossible. It's beyond our you know, skill set. You know, you cannot feed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. But the lesson Jesus teaches them is that he is the provider. And they are going to be used as, used as dispensers of his food, of his provision. Now, today we've been told it's gift day. And we see the same uh, principle of this uh, with our money. We may not think uh, we have uh, we, we, very much to give. We may not think that the Lord has provided us with much in the first place. But when we learn to trust God with our wallets, we will start to see incredible provision uh, that will follow. And, and I've seen it in my life. The more you know, often as I give, I can see the incredible ways that God has used that money to bless and do far more than I could possibly imagine. God uses us to dispense his generosity to others. So Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish and he gives thanks for them and he broke them and then he started handing it out to his disciples to distribute. And I just think about this, this scene for a moment. He tore a piece off and then he put it into to Andrew's basket. And then he did the same thing uh, for, for Peter's basket. And each time he tore the bread, there'll be more uh, in his hand to tear again. And he, and he would keep doing this thousands of times. And this wasn't just making flour or, or, or seeds, but cooked bread. Or he didn't just make um, fish born or little, little baby fish, but he made you know, fully grown, gutted, dried in the sun fish. So who was Jesus of Nazareth? Well, he was the mighty. He is the mighty creator of the heavens and the earth. John tells us the beginning of his gospel that all things were made by him and without him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus, who made the world out of nothing, is standing on the lakeside of Galilee and is actively demonstrating his limitless power, just like he did when he, when he turned kind of water into aged wine or when he repairs the eyeballs of a man or a blind man, or he heals the skin of a leper. There is no limit to what Jesus can do. This is the shepherd that we are called to follow. 
And I, I personally take great comfort in this fact. It is one of the main reasons that I, most of the time, feel confident to stand in front of you and speak God's word. That's because my role is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him, to be obedient to his call and to, to, to step out of my, you know, my comfort zone when called to do so. You know, I, I know I'm not the source of provision. Thank the Lord I'm not the source of provision. I can't pray for your healing in my name. I, I can't pray for peace in your life because of my, for my strength. That's Jesus' job. But I know that Jesus, like he did with the disciples, uses myself. He uses you and other people to, to distribute his provision. Each of us are called to sit at Jesus' feet. Each, to be obedient to his word and be used by him to, to distribute his provision, his love, his forgiveness, his kindness, his generosity, his good news to those that we meet. And the more we do this, and we see this not just in the New Testament, but in our own personal lives, if you've been a walk journeying for, with Jesus for many years, the more we do this, the more we see Jesus do extraordinary things through us. We will. So who is Jesus Nazareth? He is one with matchless compassion and limitless power who chooses to use those who follow him. And thirdly and finally, and, uh, and it's the shortest of the three, is that he is the source of satisfaction. Jesus is the source of satisfaction. Um, More Please is the title autobiography of Dame Edna Everidge. I don't know if you remember uh, Dame Edna Everidge. You know, it was... Uh, real name, Barry Humphreys, and he writes that these two words, more please, were his first coherent utterance. He went on to say, I've always wanted more. I've never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or first editions or solitude or gramophone records or free meals or real friends or guiltless pleasures or neckties or applause or unquestioning love. Of course, I've always had more than my share of most of these commodities, but it always left me with a vague feeling of unfulfillment. Where was the rest? However much we have of the kind of things listed by Barry Humphreys, you know, they do not satisfy. Um, seeking pleasure for ourselves will always leave us with a, a vague feeling of unfulfillment. Yet we're told in this passage that these 5,000 men and the many more women and children, in verse 42, they all ate. They all ate what Jesus gave them, what he provided for them, and they were satisfied. And I want to tell you today, that is what happens when you have a close relationship with Jesus. Life doesn't necessarily get easier. In fact, uh, we're often told it gets the opposite happens, and we see just the chapter beforehand uh, is John the Baptist. He recently died for his faith. But what we are promised that you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. And I wish every one of us could say that about Jesus, that we have tasted for ourselves the bread of heaven, what he's provided for us, and we are satisfied. I wish we could tell everyone in Cambridge that we, we are satisfied. That his teaching, his word, is our source of truth today and our, and our hope for the future. That his death on the cross is our source of forgiveness. And his presence in us is our source of guidance and protection throughout our lives today. That we are not searching 
for another Jesus, no more than a happily married husband or wife is looking for a new spouse. We don't need to to live with loads of different people before we know for sure that they are the right one. When you have eaten from the bread of life, from the provision of Jesus, then you will be satisfied. And just to reiterate that Psalm 23, those first few verses, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I lack nothing. This is who Jesus of Nazareth is. He is matchless in compassion. He is limitless in power and the source of satisfaction. My question is, do you know him today? Do you know him? If you want to know him, we would love to introduce you to him. And we're going to, at the end of the service, we'll have a time for praying for, for, for people. And if you would love to, just to meet with Jesus, we would, we would count it as a real privilege to stand with you and to introduce you to him. I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, thank you that you, you care for us. You love us so much and you would never turn away from those who come to you. Lord, we want you to be our guide, our good shepherd. If that's true for you right now, just ask Lord just to, to help you to be his, you know, to, for him to be your guide. Maybe you've been finding yourself uh, being your own kind of captain of your own ship. And actually, this is the moment. Maybe you want to just hand that, hand that control back to the Lord. Lord, use me to distribute your provision to those in need. Let us leave today also knowing that you, knowing your satisfaction, knowing that you refresh our soul. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.